And on the inside, it has a picture of a guy that uh, married my cousin. His name is Jeff Shepard. If you have, how many of y'all have a copy of this at home? Anybody have a copy or one of these copies? There he is, Duncan over uh, Utah or whoever. Well, that's UCLA. He needed to dunk over them. And here's a couple, three more pictures of Jeff. And and uh, so what else I've got in here? Um, here's a really good picture of Jeff. This is the national championship game against uh, Utah back in the day. Now this book has some sentimental value. It was back in the time when, but my both of my boys were watching college basketball with me, and we would sit around. We lived in Kentucky and and watched them play. And Jeff came and spoke at our church once, and and so it has. You know, it's kind of unique to me. But how many of y'all find value in this? Nathan, do you find any value in this book? Not a bit, do you? Now, if it had uh, the Duke Blue Devils, which are demonic type instruments of Satan, um, they are because they have the name Devil uh, with horns and a big blue tail, then he would like it for whatever odd reason it is. But that's a magazine, kind of has some sentimental value to me. And then years ago, there was something else I found. I remember growing up as a kid, I would go under cliffs and looking for stuff, and and somewhere in the past, I found this. This is an arrowhead. Uh, It's not perfect, but it's the most perfected perfected one I've ever had. And uh, it has been very special to me, and I keep it in a little shadow box along with this magazine. But regardless of how important this is to me, and that is, I know some of you have tons of this kind of stuff, okay? And I know this is kind of insignificant to you, but that's really huge to me. Where I'm from, it's been so looked over, and there weren't as many engines out there as there is in Illinois and Missouri. (coughs) But this is something (coughs) that has great value to me. Now, it's probably not worth a lot monetarily, but I'm going to open it up. I've never brought it out in public. I've, uh, I've had it put up for about 28 years. About a third of a pack of certs. A $1 bill. It's still folded the way it was. A quarter, a bunch of nickels, a dime, and a penny. Now, if I'd come from some families, I would have thought, hmm, I wonder what this is for. But this was something my father had CB radios because he liked to hear where the Smokies were going down the interstate before we got to got. He never drove fast. He drove like a honking grandpa in his blue love truck. He didn't go fast. But so he was always having to fix the plug-ins on CBs. And he had this in his pocket for some weird reason. <coughs> And then he had this. This was a Boker knife that I'd gotten my father two years before he was killed. When I got the knife, it had it was completely uh, encased with blood. Everything in it was bloody. The whole inside, all the blades were covered. This one still actually has some of my father's blood on it. Now, some of you are saying it's rather morbid, and it probably is, unless you're me. <coughs> you see, these items were something that was in his pocket the day he was killed. These are the items <coughs> that when he was killed, all the blood ran down and through his pockets and onto him, himself. And those things have some worth. To a collector, that book might be worth $10. To an Indian head collector like me that knows nothing about them, that brought it's probably worth a couple thousand. Just kidding. Maybe $5. But you see, this has no price. This is something that is so intimate between my father and I and because of this monetarily it's worth probably five or six dollars to someone who doesn't know but to be honest with you you couldn't buy it for a million dollars you just couldn't 
because it's priceless. And when we begin to think about our life, sometimes we don't look at our life that way. We may look at it as kind of non-important and, and non-essential and that we really don't matter, but the value of our life is absolutely huge. And the thing that's so important is what you're putting into your life. <clears throat> I was very blessed to have a godly father. He wasn't perfect. We didn't always see eye to eye on everything. We had disagreements just like my sons and I do. But there's one thing that I found out is that his promises still stand. Regardless of the elements and things that we filled our lives full of and the things that's kind of been poured into our lives, whether they're good or bad, they are things that, that his promises still stand. Even after all of our failures, even after quitting and coming back and quitting and coming back, after the disappointments we've had in other people that hurt us or, or whatever it may have been, God has called us to have a life that is fulfilled and is supposed to be full of something. The reason I used this video was that they were all full. But the thing is, they were full before they ever were served any food. And I think a lot of us may have just thought, well, they'd already eaten once and they're eating again. No, they had never eaten, but they were full of something. There was something that was so radiating in their life that they were full of it. And so this morning, I'd like you to take your Bibles, and we're going to go to the book of Psalms in chapter 78. And we'll get to it in just a few minutes. So I'm going to just kind of read over some notes, and then we'll get to the passage shortly. What is it, what is it worth to you? What is this life worth to you? And I gave you some things that have value to me. And like I said, they may not have value to you, but they do to me. And they're very precious to me. What is your life or your family's life worth to you? And let me ask you when I say that is when you make decisions and how you live, do you ever make decisions and think in a way that this is how it's going to affect everybody else or is it just how it affects me? Because whenever we live a lot that we only make decisions based on how it affects me, we begin to be very... Uh, uh, non-fulfilling in our family's lives. And so this morning we're going to be talking about filling my life with something and, and what am I full of and we're going to go to the different parts of it. So let me just read my notes. <clears throat> How do unfulfilled lives end up? And I'm going to stay here for a minute. How do unfulfilled lives end up? I've been around enough and I've seen enough bad things in people's lives. But let me tell you what begins to happen in unfulfilled people's lives. More unfulfillment. It begins to stair-step. They go from one thing to another. And I'm just going to kind of stick to my notes if I possibly can. How do unfulfilled lives end up? They often end with more tragedy. They often end with more disappointment. They often end with more failures, more, more turmoil, more turmoil. That's how they end up. They end without purpose. After so much of this, they begin to think that their life is not worth anything, so why care? And to be honest with you, some of you in this room were at this place in your life at one point. Because things were so ugly, things were so bad, the way you lived was so unfulfilling, your life was unfulfilled, and if something didn't change, it was going to leave, it was, you were going to leave this place unfulfilled. You have no idea how many times, and I've, I've shared this before, and some of you say broken record, I don't mean it to be a broken record, but a lot of times we see people that come out of a life full of, of junk and all kinds of baggage and all types of horrible uh, addictions and things that control them. It isn't just their life that is controlled. It's not just their life that's dominated. It's not just their life that is destroyed. It takes the life out of everybody else. It takes everybody that loves them. It takes their life. 
And how does it always end? It always ends differently. But if something doesn't change and their life doesn't get to, begin to get filled with something correctly, it will always end in more, more turmoil. It will always end with things unfulfilled, disappointment, many tragedies. I cannot tell you how many times over the years I've known people, way before I ever had kids, that their life was full of turmoil and full of drama and it ended the same way. Now you're here this morning and do you want things to end the way it is now? If your things are great, great. But if your life is full of turmoil and, and dissension and all kinds of issues, is that really how you want it to end? Well, it's never going to change until you begin to fulfill some things in your life that do have value. And the things that I have value in is above and beyond me. Because I know in my ability there is nothing good. There's nothing good about this guy. I may have some, some things about me I do okay, but, but to be honest with you, as I said in Sunday school, I'm pretty pitiful. I'm pretty pathetic. And so I have to have something that works within me that creates something better in me. And let me give you a little quote I got from, I don't remember who I got it from, but it was a minister. It says, greatness is not inherited. Greatness is not inherited. It doesn't matter what the genetics and And I'll be honest with you, there was a lot of questions I had about about genetics and how it works with kids and decisions they make according to their parents and things. And, but greatness is not inherited. You will never be great because your parents were. You will never be holy and righteous because your parents were. You will never serve the Lord because your parents did. You will serve Him and you will be great and you will thrive because you choose to. It's something we begin to feel that I find value in. You know, a lot of people would care less maybe what their dad had or, or maybe what he had on when he was killed. I don't know. But to me, it has great honor because I know what he lived for. I know who he was. Anything that I've ever accomplished had nothing to do with me. It had to do with him working through me. In the same way with my father, in the exact same way with you. It will never be inherited. Matter of fact, I'm glad that some things are, don't come through inheritance that way. That things change, that we, we promote and we grow, as if you will. Greatness is not inherited, it's worked for. My, my, my mind is full of something. My life is full of last week, my mind is full of something. The battle of your mind is so critical. We're going to get to Psalms 38 in just a moment. The battle of your mind is this. <clears throat> you can accept things as normal. You can believe uh, what, what you be accept as normal, what you believe about yourself, and what you compromise on. And you may think, well, what's he talking about? We all live in the same United States. We all see some of the same things, the same environment, the same way of thinking. But let me tell you, how many of y'all believe America is the greatest nation in the world to live in? I do. I don't want to go anywhere else. I want to stay here. Period. But there's some things even in the greatness of America that are slowly destroying the American people. Most people vote on things. I'm going to not get into politics, but most people cast their votes on things on, on kind of how it's going to help them in their wallet. A lot of people will vote according to, that's necessarily, um, yeah, it usually is kind of on uh, party lines. But if you want more from the government, you vote a certain way. If you want more from whatever else, you vote another way. There's, I'm going to get off this because it's going to get hot in here. My feet are going to start burning. But here's the thing. It's important we understand we're often motivated by what benefits us the most. But when you begin to look at things from a selfish perspective, it never is what it should be. Let me just go to my notes. <clears throat> America is number one. In, <clears throat> number one, <clears throat> one more, three more times. America is number one in divorce. America is number one in homosexuality. 
America is number one in radical feminism. America is number one in tolerance. America is number one in abortion. America is number one in political correctness. America is number one, and this is not anything I got from any facts, America is number one in confusion. America is number one in the destruction of the family unit. And why does America want to destroy the family unit? Because when you destroy a family unit, the units begin to depend on government instead of the family. And here's the issue. If you want something different in your family, something has to change in the way you think. Something has to change in the way you see things, in the way you view things. And it cannot be from a preacher. It cannot be from anybody else. It has to be from the Word. Even in the church, you have elements of influence questioning or, or commitment to Christ, compromises. We all have a constant attack upon our minds. As our mind goes, so do we and the rest of our family. So the first thing that you've got to be careful what your mind is full of is yourself or what everybody else thinks. There's nothing wrong with, with maybe understanding the culture in which we live, but we can never allow the things that are... Let me just go back. How many, how many years have people been coming to America uh, as, as migrants? People begin to migrate here. How many, year, how many years ago? Anybody have an idea? Probably 500 years ago. Let's say back in, around the, the 1500s, the 16th century was when we began to see people were beginning to come over here. And they really started coming in the 1600s. In the 1700s, we had colonies and places were starting to rise and thrive. And, and people initially, those from over in Europe, they were looking for religious freedom. So they weren't told what they had to believe, but they wanted the option to learn how to believe. And some of us, you want, the problem is with Americans, we want somebody to tell us what to think, how to believe, what to do. I don't want anybody telling me. I want to figure out who he is on my own. I want him to be the Lord of my life, not just something that somebody imposes upon me. So for the past 500 years, we've seen a country that has been blessed beyond measure. But every time that God begins to bring blessing, when the improper thinking begins to set in order, it goes from one generation to the next. And when it does, it destroys what God meant for good. That's always, you know, Satan always mimics the things of the Lord, and he tries to destroy. In the book of Psalms, chapter 78, and verse 1 says, Give ear, O my people, to my law, and incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old. Can anybody here come up with a saying? How many of y'all have ever heard the term, it's steeper than a cow's face? Anybody ever heard that? That is steeper than a cow's face. Anybody ever heard that one? Seriously? Nobody's ever heard it's steeper than a cow's face. Uh, how many of y'all have another old wives tale? Has anybody ever heard one? And listen, to make sure it's good. Anybody have one you can tell me? Good job, guys. Great job. What was that? Steeper than a cow, it doesn't matter. We're going to get off this. There's ways that we explain things. In the book of Psalms, it says we're going to tell things that were in the dark sayings. In other words, they were old generational things that passed down. How many of y'all have ever heard the term twiddling your thumbs? What happens to people who sit and twiddle their thumbs? They get nothing done because they're too lazy to do anything, so they twiddle their thumb just to say that they're doing something. Let's keep going. I will open my mouth and I'll, in, in a parable and I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from our, their children, showing to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and the strength in his wonderful works that he hath done. Let me give you a little insight here the way I, I see this passage. More than, more than once, quite often, I will take little granddaughters. I don't soapy yet, but I do London, starting to more of London. But I've taken Maisie, and I'll get her here between my legs, and I have her stand in front of me, and I begin to speak truths into her. I make her look in my eyes, and I make sure she's paying attention. 
Because I want truths to get embedded. They're old truths. Truths of doing what's right, doing what's right, doing what's right, because it's the right thing to do, not because of this or that, but I'm going to do what's right regardless. As I speak those truths in there, those may be old sayings, and those may be things that I was taught as a kid, but if I can speak those into her spirit, her mind will be full of the right things that will carry her through the trials and tribulations of all the things that we experience on the outside. Making any sense? So I take the old scenes and I begin to drive them into her mind and talk to her about truth and tell them the truth. We all listen to these old sayings and may not be new, but they should be familiar. Should be a generational thing. And I remember my father talking to me tons of times when I'd done things wrong. I remember my mother giving me my, me talks, and oftentimes it was my mom who gave me a lot more of the discipline talks than my father. Yeah. And I'd rather mom to talk to me than dad. How many of y'all know that story? How many of y'all ever had a spanking from mom, then you get a spanking from dad? Big difference. I'd rather have mom spanking with a flosswat than dad spanking with his hand or a belt. So, but be familiar. These are things that should be common. Verse 4, we will not hide them from, our, from their children. Show unto the generation to come the praises of the Lord. Let me stop here. How critical is it for you men, for your kids to see you know how to worship? How critical is it for you men, for your kids to watch you and how you talk outside of this place? How you behave outside of this place? Because these are generational things. How can we ever expect our kids' lives and the future generation, if you will, the next generation to be different if they don't have somebody who's proud enough to show it? It isn't something that you beat into them, but it's something you display into them and you show into them. Teach a child when they were young, and when they are old, they will not depart. The truth in that is, is much deeper now than it was years ago. Over the years, you all have known the battles and things that, that we went through, and, and uh, I can't tell you how many times that I've had people come up and encourage me and say, at some point, your kids are going to embrace him. At some point, your kids are going to embrace him. At some point, your kids are going to embrace him because they're going to finally find value in the things you've taught them and things you've shown them. At some point, it's going to begin to click because they're not embracing me now, but at some point, they will. And when they do, it's going to work. You know why? Because they didn't forget the ancient sayings. Those things from the dark days of the past has been spoken into them and shown into them. And it's something that all of us, and some of you didn't have that. Some of you did not have a father that taught you any principles. You had, you had other things that were driven into your mind and driven into your heart. And so you had to start afresh. You had to learn to think differently. You had to try to raise your kids in a way that, that you were never raised. And, and you don't beat your kids. And you don't do the things that maybe that happened to you. Verse, verse 4 and 5. We as a believer, parent, adult, will be responsible to let our future leaders know the truths that we know. Verse 4. And his strength and his wonderful works that he hath done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children. Oh, how important it is that the values and the leadership of us is imparted to our kids. You know, there's a story I've told so many times, and most of you have heard it, and, and I'll tell it probably until I'm 80, if I'm still alive at 80, and I'm ever speaking in front of people, but... I will never forget, and, and this, is a, this is a faith builder. This is, this is something that happened to us when we pastored in Kentucky, and, and I'd had it, the worst kidney stone I'd ever had. Well, maybe not the worst, but one of the worst. I'd been sick all day, side of the road throwing up, in a grocery store parking lot laying there throwing up, and got to church and threw up, and finally I made it home about five or so that night. We canceled church, and this is the honest truth. 
I was laying on this waterbed. How many of y'all have ever had the free flow waterbeds? That you get in, you go, uh, you know, you do that for a while. You know, we thought, well, maybe that will make it something. I don't know what we thought. But anyway, so I got in the boys' big waterbed, and my wife is on the phone talking to my mother, and she was calling people in church saying, we're not going to have church because he can't get there. You've heard, so if those of you have heard it, okay, it's, it's rehashed, but the rest of you haven't. I had a little boy's in the first grade. His name is Tyson. If you ever know anything about Tyson, he's not really been known for a guy who's a, a great believer. He's been kind of rebellious. Uh, anyway, so Tyson, come in there while my wife was on the phone. I'm laying on the bed, moaning, puking, whatever. And he came, and he knelt down beside me, never said a word. I remember what his hair looked like. I remember his hand on me. And, of course, when I thought he'd done, I said, oh, that is super sweet. Until something happened as soon as he rose from his knee. And as soon as Tyson rose from his knee, instantly all the pain I was in, the kidney stone was gone, everything was different in an instant. That is an old story that you've heard, but you need to hear it again. You need to hear it again. And your family needs to hear the grace of God and the mercies of God in your life again. Why did God tell them, command them to tell the old stories, tell the old tales? Why? So they would be ingrained in them, so they would learn to develop faith. They would learn to develop hope. Am I killing you? Are you with me? And so it's so critical in this passage that we understand what we are filling people's minds with. I began to think, I wrote down some, some different <clears throat> um, family names down here. I won't mention any of them, but I began to think in verse 6 through 8, that the generation to come might know them, even the children who should be born, who aren't even here yet, who should arise and declare them, their children, that they might set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. And I began to just think of families and think of scenarios and think of, of last names. And man, Hensley's, Sanders, Sandages, Heaton's, I could keep going, Reynolds, Vance's, whatever. Clary's. How many of y'all know there's a lot of Clary's around? There's a lot of Clary's. The Clary name needs to have it repeated again and again and again. You know, I've got to do a few things with Paul over the last two or three years, and there's one thing that Paul, he never brings up anything negative about his dad. I'm sure his dad had some negative traits. There had to be something wrong with him. But to hear him talk about him, he never says anything negative. You know what he talks about? He talks about the virtuous things he poured into them and required of them as boys. About being honest. And not that they were always perfectly honest, because I'm sure Paul's had a few little stories in his life. But one of the things he taught him was about giving. And he taught him about sowing the right seed and doing the right things in your life. And you may not think that's a big deal until you lose your dad. And then as you lose your dad, you don't have him to call upon anymore. So now what do you do? You begin to go back. And I think that's what Paul was telling me. He was going back in his mind to the truths that his dad had instilled in him when he's bringing them forth. Why? Because he needs to declare them to his girls. They don't need to die with Paul. They need to keep going. I'm going to wrap up. Verse 8. It might not, I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. It might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright, whose spirit was not steadfast with God. And let me stop here for a minute. This is not kids' church and this is not youth. But everybody in here pretty much is an adult. And you as an adult need to embrace this. It's sometimes easier to go back and live the way you've always lived. It's sometimes easier to go back and live the, maybe the way you were taught. Because it's, it's easier. It doesn't require as much. You're already good at it. It's kind of like a, anyone who's ever had a past and something, the easiest thing to go back to is what they're familiar with. And it's no different than me and you. 
but every one of us at some point have got to understand we've got to embrace something in front of us so that we can pass it on to the generation behind us. Because as bad as this sounds and as sad as it is to think about, you're going to die and you're going to rot. And that's just the way it is. And your family's going to cry and they're going to be sad, but you're going to die. That's just the inevitable truth. We are all going to die. But what is so critical is the way we live from the point now until we do. So let me read, read my notes from verse 8. If you refuse then, all the, all the um, generations to come will be taught by anything but you. And I begin to think about, who would I want to teach my kids? Who would I want to teach my grandkids? Who would I want to teach the kids in this church? Who would I want to speak to the youth in this church? Well, let me give you some examples that if you don't do it and I don't do it, I'm going to tell you who is going to speak truths or things into the lives of your kids. The TV, a friend at school, the school system itself, an outsider that you don't know that you have questions about, your politicians, fads and things that come in and go out, your kids will be sucked right into the middle of it. How can we... How can we so freely let someone else do what we should be doing? How is it that we can let everybody else influence our kids and we fail to? How is it we can let everybody else say what they need to think and how they need to dress and how they need to operate without us? Are you kidding me? Can't. We've got to pass this down. Because this pasture won't be here forever. And the next pastor will not be here forever. But it is our responsibility to get all of us to understand this is personal. What I think and how I live and what operates up here has to be passed down. Because if I don't pass it down, it's going to die. Same way with the churches in America. Everybody's so concerned with everything being the way it's always been. Friend, wake up. Could you? Now, I do like old cars. But could you imagine everybody having the same old car without any air conditioning? You can have any color you want as long as it's black. doesn't matter. As long as it's black, you can have any color you want. No air conditioning, no Sirius, no iPhones, no Androids, no computers. If you really want to go back far enough, we can make life really miserable. No heating except for a pop belly stove or a wood stove. No air conditioning, no lights, no padded seats. How far do we want to go? The reality of it is this. We live in a progressive state in a progressive world. That is the way it operates. And we can set and be always the way we've always been. And every one of us go become gray-headed and die. Or we can say, I want to be a difference maker. I want to get my thinking right in line with you. And I want you to speak to me to make me relevant, make him relevant, regardless of the generation. Regardless of the kids that are coming up. Regardless of how many kids. And there's the last thing. Regardless of how many failures you've been involved in. And regardless of where your thinking is now, there is always hope. If you still have life. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. My last point was this. It's not too late. and I'm not going to go into it, but it's not. There may be a lot of water under the bridge. Maybe a lot of scars. Maybe a lot of things you so regret. And maybe... Some of you are at the place, you're thinking, well, how in the world can I start teaching my kids now? How in the world can I start standing in the gap? Now, man, I'm, I'm 50 years old. How can I do this now? You, you just do it. Jesus said, the whole world will know you because you love one another, because of your fruits, for how you operate, what you say, how you treat people, the things you say about people. All those things are reflections of who you are. 
Friend, if you want your kids to become a believer, if you want them to begin to embrace the qualities of things maybe you never had, it still has to start with you. It's not too late. And we're not going to come to the altars this morning, but I'm going to say this to you. Friend, there is always a season of change. And this is your season to change. This is your season and your time for your thinking to begin to adapt and begin to mold and begin to change from how you've always thought and always felt. And you may think, well, good gravy act preacher is just trying to manipulate. And I'm not trying to manipulate you at all. I'm trying to give you a way out of where you're going. We started off with a scenario of where there's lots of turmoil. If something doesn't change, you will end with turmoil. If things start with a lot of addiction, a lot of horrible things, a lot of horrible behavior and bad decision making, it will end the same way. Nothing changes until our mind begins to be filled with something else. We've got to take from the old some of those ancient truths of honesty and loyalty and value and virtue and holiness and purity and place it into our minds so we can place it into the minds of those that are coming. I'm going to pray over you this morning. We're going to pray a blessing over this church and over everyone that's here. We all have little things that are important to us. Some of those things may not be worth holding on to anymore. And maybe the Lord has something new for you to begin to dwell on, begin to think on. Father, this morning, I pray over this congregation. And Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would so stir the hearts of every one of us so that the next generation can know you and fear you and love you and respect you and want to serve you and then pass down those old sayings from this generation to the next and from that generation to the next. Regardless if we have lights that dim or padded seats or a black ceiling or however the seats are laid out, none of that is so ridiculous and outrageously ignorant. Father, the issue is you. It always has been, it always will be. Help us to display you and how we think, how we operate, how our attitude is, everything about us. Because, Father, you said if we will lift you up, you will draw the world. And, Father, that's the purpose of this church to draw the world out of us, but but draw the world into this place so that they can have an understanding of who Jesus is. And Father, I pray your blessings on them. Lives change, families change, marriage is healthy, kids having direction they never had before. I speak blessing and favor and direction and insights, Lord, that's never been there. That you would begin to impart things upon families that only you could impart. A love for the wife, a love for the husband, a respect for one another, and the kids begin to reverence their parents. For us to do what's right because it's the right thing.